Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. Today, we are going to be starting a series about the Mass, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, which is fitting because we just finished talking about one of the sacra- one of the seven sacraments, which is the Eucharist, which is Jesus himself, right? The center of all worship that's, ha- that's happening in heaven. And so Jesus, through his incarnation, brought heaven to earth, right? And in the Holy Spirit, we can bring heaven to earth. But this is part, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is truly... It's instituted by God himself. It is instituted by Jesus himself. And we are swept up into heaven. And we participate in the heavenly liturgy. But um, so this series, we're going to first talk about just a really high overview of the Mass. And then we're also going to be talking uh, in the next one about specific details and specifically in the Latin rite. So in America, it's actually the Latin rite. So it's one rite of 22. So the Western church is really the Latin rite church. But then there's 21 other uh, rites that are primarily in the East. Um, And those are all different liturgies, but they all have the same substance, right? But the Mass in itself is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So it is not a service and it's not entertainment. It's not purely to become uh, encouraged or enthused, which are all great things, right? So when I was Protestant, I went to services and it would be a person, it would all be pastor focused because it truly would be this guy getting up there to teach me the Bible. Um, and that's beautiful. That's, that's incredible. But at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, we are led by Jesus himself and we are swept up into the heavenly liturgy of worship. So it is Christocentric to the fullest and it is a Trinitarian movement. Um, so if we just back up for a second, all the way back to the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament Before the fall, the cosmos were all in right order, right? So man was made in his image and likeness, and he had perfect communion with God and perfect communion with each other. So Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. They they saw each other for who they were in God's image and, and likeness, right? And they had perfect, they walked in the cool of the day with the Lord, okay? And so after the fall, um, if you fast forward to times of worship and the temple sacrifice, the tabernacle and the temple sacrifices uh, after uh, Melchizedek and Abraham and Moses and the Jewish people, all of those were to reflect or to mimic what was happening in heaven. So every single time they went to worship, it was reorienting the cosmos, right? So as to put back in right order. And so they were worshiping God. And so the the temple or the, the people of Israel, the church of God, the um, congregation would come together and offer sacrifice back to God, right? So they would, uh, and it was supposed to um, reorient the cosmos, okay? So back then, uh, well, in the old covenant, they would primarily... Uh, um, celebrate different types of holy days, right? So they would celebrate uh, the the Passover feast on once a year because uh, they would celebrate the Passover once a year. They'd also pass. They would um, celebrate the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And why would they do these on these specific days? Because guess what? God also He created time. We keep time. We keep history with God, and that's why Catholics and all Christians we are bound to Sunday. Because in Sunday, Jesus was resurrected. It's the Lord's day and we uh, keep time with God, what he did in salvation history. And that's why we have Easter and Christmas and all holy days. It's because it's to keep time with God. God created time. He acted in time. And on a Sunday, Jesus was risen from the dead. And so we celebrate uh, the holy sacrifice of the mass on Sunday. Okay. So 
Um, and that's the reason why we worship on Sundays and holy days. And you can't go to mass on Wednesday and say, well, I'm good for the week. Well, Jesus didn't rise on a Wednesday, just like God, he didn't rest on uh, Tuesday. He's rested on Saturday and it was the Sabbath. And so Sunday is the Lord's day. Jesus resurrected and it's a, it's the eighth day, right? It's new creation. Jesus makes everything back in right order, right? So it's kind of back onto this worship topic, back in right order with God. And so, and it's also, so we just saw kind of just a quick tidbit of the Old Testament where it was a mimic of the heavenly worship, right? So if you were to look in the Old Testament, specifically in Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, they have visions of heavenly worship. So they see angels, seraphim, cherubim, and all of these uh, beings created uh, worshiping God. And so they were mimicking what they were doing in the Old Testament. But in Jesus and all those uh, visions, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, another place where it's found in the New Testament that sounds exactly like that is Revelation. But who's in the center of it? The Lamb of God which is Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus and through in his incarnation he brought heaven down to earth. And same thing with the mass that he instituted, the celebration of the mass. He brings heaven down to earth and we are swept up into heaven and we worship the lamb of God, Jesus right in the center and the communion of saints, the communion of the body of Christ is all together worshiping the lamb of God. And so there's also this trinitarian movement, it's the Father, Son and Holy Spirit throughout the entire mass. It's this movement this Trinitarian movement. And so uh, back in the Old Testament, again, Malachi is the last prophet uh, of the Old Testament. Well, besides John the Baptist, but Malachi uh, verse 111, it prophesies um, what is going to happen in the new covenant. Because in the old covenant, it would be multiple sacrifices, all families uh, or all these different sacrifices of lambs, of uh, of animals, really, back to God of the Old Testament, right? And it would happen in one place. It would happen in Jerusalem. But in Malachi 1.11, in the context of what was happening in Jewish liturgy right then and there, which was all these different sacrifices in one place. But Malachi 1.11 prophesies that one peer offering would be made back to God throughout the entire world. So this would sound completely crazy to the Jewish people at that time because they would offer a bunch of sacrifices, not one, and they would offer it in one place in Jerusalem, not throughout the world. And so the Mass fulfills this because what is ultimately the Mass? It is the participation of Jesus's life, his incarnation, life, death, and resurrection, and that is a direct participation in that one eternal offering, right? So Jesus is that one eternal offering. But in the mass, that offering of Jesus back to the Father is recognized and realized and actualized in, uh, in all these different locations that the mass is happening. And it's within time, but it's not happening again. And it's not happening back in Lansing, Michigan, but Lansing, Michigan is participating in that one sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary in Jerusalem. I hope that makes sense. So the mass fulfills that Malachi 1.11 prophecy that there would be one pure offering made in Jesus that the entire world, all these different locations would participate in that one offering all throughout history. And just like uh, in the Old Testament, um, in the New Testament, we worship with our bodies. And that's why at mass, you're gonna see people standing, prostrating, kneeling, uh, standing up, using your hands because we are body and soul together. 
you're not a soul with a body and you're not a body with a soul. You are one person with a body and a soul. And our entire being is going to be resurrected on the day of resurrection when Jesus returns, right? And so we worship with our bodies because Jesus came in the flesh. His body, blood, soul, and divinity became flesh for us. Um, and so this heavenly liturgy that's happening in Revelation, and so uh, this heavenly liturgy, that is exactly what's happening at the Mass. We are being swept up into it. And so this is just an overview of it. So it's a Trinitarian movement, right? So it's in the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus and back to the Father. In the same way where the Father through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit speaks directly to us, right? So God and his one being, but three persons, never operates completely independently of each other because they're they're one in essence, right? So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit move as one. So when you when you hear the word, the Lord speak, it's the power of the Holy Spirit revealed from the Father's heart through Jesus in the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ, the church, right? So that's why um, when you're at the liturgy, you're at mass. It's just like the Old Testament. You didn't. They didn't just read the law and stuff, which they did outside, but it was proclaimed, it was relived again, and it was God speaking directly to them in the context of the liturgy of, in the temple, right? And so just like at church, God is speaking to us. And so the very first, it's really the liturgy is broken up into two different parts, the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. The liturgy, liturgy of the word is the very beginning, right? So we hear typically four readings, but actually, prior to those four readings, we begin with the penitential rite. So we come as sinners asking for forgiveness from Jesus, right? So like the famous uh, Lord's Prayer, like people that receive Jesus into their heart, they say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, and receive Jesus into their heart. Well, at every single Mass, we are doing just that. We come as sinners asking for forgiveness and we repent of our sins, and then we receive Jesus the most fully as possible that we can on this side of the veil in the Eucharist, right? And we hear him through the, the word of God, the scriptures being proclaimed. So the first thing that happens is the penitential rite. We ask Jesus for mercy on our souls. We come as sinners, repentant, and want to have everything in right order with Jesus. And then the liturgy of the word begins. And so this starts with its four readings, typically on a Sunday or three readings during uh, on a Saturday. But it always starts with the law and the prophets, just like Jesus did in Luke 24 on the, in the uh, road to Emmaus. He began with the law, the prophets, and the Psalms to show that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of these, right? So we hear the word of God, the Lord. God speaks through the Old Testament, so through salvation history, and we hear God speaking, we hear his voice through that proclamation of the word of God. So we're sitting for the first reading, which is usually from the law or the prophets. And then we sing a psalm back to the Father in the Holy Spirit through Jesus back to the Father with the psalms. So first, the Father speaks to us. We sing back in the psalm. And then that third reading is usually from the New Testament, but it's not the gospel. It would be like a, a St. Paul letter or a letter from St. Peter or John. And then again, God speaks to us through the New Testament. And then finally, we stand as Jesus is the center to hear the gospel because Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in scripture. He is the center of everything. He is the word of God and he is the word made flesh. He fulfills everything in the Old Testament, the, pro the law, the prophets, 
and the Psalms. So he fulfills all of that. So we stand for that. So that's the the high level overview of the liturgy of the word. And then right after that, a homily is said or um, preached. So the, the priest, the pastor of the church will give his homily. And then we say the Nicene Creed, which is the the creed from what what we believe that was made in the Nicene, uh, Nicene Council of 325. And then we pray for the entire world. So we try to bring the entire world that's not there back into this liturgy. So we pray for the entire world, all those who don't know Jesus, all those who are couldn't make it to Mass. And then we move to the liturgy of the Eucharist. And like I said before, this is a fulfillment of the, all the worship that happened in the Old Testament where it was a mimic of the heavenly worship. Now we actually participate directly in the heavenly worship, even though we can't see it. We are literally have a communion of angels and saints all around us, and we participate in the heavenly liturgy with Jesus as the center, right? So it's centered by, so Jesus, he was the high priest and he was the lamb. So he was the offerer and he was the offering. He offered himself. And so in the mass, Jesus leads through the priest. And then it's Jesus that is offered uh, back to God, but we offer ourselves in union with Jesus, Jesus's sacrifice, right? So all that time, we're giving everything back to the Father through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus gives us this liturgy of the Eucharist at the Last Supper when he's celebrating the Passover meal, the Jewish Passover meal. This is the way that we uh Eat the Lamb of God, the First Corinthians 5. We participate. It's a communion, which literally means to become one, come one with. So we become one with God. First Corinthians 10, or we, we participate in that. Uh, we have that communion with the body and blood of, of Jesus. And then um, uh, we see again in the road to Emmaus, the eyes are opened from the breaking of the bread. This is the breaking of the bread. The Luke 24, Jesus, after his resurrection, celebrates the mass with his uh, disciples right there. In Luke 24. And then we see the in the scripture itself uh, multiple times of people gathering on Sundays to have this meal. And and f- we see it most explicitly in, in 1 Corinthians, but also in Acts 2.42, where people devoted themselves to the prayers, the teaching of the apostles, um, and the breaking of the bread. And that sounds a lot like the Mass, right? So uh, this heavenly worship we see in Revelation Revelation, it's so many times thought of as an apocalyptic, which it does have apocalyptic things, but it cannot purely be the end of the world because it had to mean something for the first century Jewish people too. And what you truly see is the heavenly worship. And so I'm not going to list off all the verses, but just listen to all the things that are in Revelation that you see at every single mass that you go to on a Sunday. So in the book of Revelation and in the mass, you see the Sunday worship on the Lord's day. You see a high priest, you see an altar. And within the altar here on earth is are usually relics of saints. And what is the altar made of uh, Of in heaven? The blood of the martyrs. You, you have priests, you have vestments, consecrated celibacy, lampstands or menorah, penitences, uh, the penitential rite, incense, the book or scroll, scriptures, the Eucharistic host, chalices, sign of the cross, or the tau is what is referred to in scripture in the first uh, in Greek. The gloria, alleluia, lift up your hearts, holy, 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 the amen, the lamb of God, the prominence of the Virgin Mary, the intercession of angels and saints, Saint Michael the archangel, the antiphonal chant, 
readings from scripture, priesthood of the faithful, universality and the the Catholicity, the Catholicity and the silent contemplation and the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is what it's all about. Jesus inviting us to the supper of the Lamb in the Eucharist. He feeds us with his very self from heaven. So every single time you come to Mass, you participate in this Trinitarian movement. It is not a service. It is not there for entertainment. It is to to feed us with God himself that is instituted by Jesus himself. It's this movement from the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then we give us give us back to the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus back to the Father. And then it's this Eucharistic revelation worship. We are surrounded by angels and saints. We are directly participating in the heavenly worship. And this is why it's so important to go to Mass. One, Jesus is our best friend. Two, he wants to feed us with the best gift of all time, which is himself in the Eucharist. And three, we need sustenance, our daily bread from heaven, in order to live out heaven here on earth when we leave Mass. And we, if we're going to spend eternity worshiping, we should probably get used to it, right? <laughs> so this is a perfect way to do that. You actually participate in the heavenly worship. Um, and so that is a really high overview. But I just wanted to show the Trinitarian movement. It's instituted by Jesus um, and the high overview and the liturgical uh, um, worship that we see in Revelation. And what's so beautiful about this is that that is the same substance of the mass the entire world has. But every single rite, one of 22, uh, the one that we're going to go over in the next episode is the Roman, the Latin rite uh, of the Catholic Church. But there's 21 other ones. Like there's the Byzantine, there's Chaldean, there's... uh, all these different ones in the East, right? So in Africa, they have a ton more dancing, but every, but guess what? It's the same substance every single time. It's the, the penitential rite, it's the liturgy of the word, and it's the liturgy of the Eucharist, the holy sacrifice of the mass, giving everything back to the Father. And we even see this in the very second century by St. Justin Martyr. And what's so cool about this, this is written in 153 or between 153 and 155 by St. Justin Martyr in this first apology. And so this is a disciple of Jesus, right? So he knew uh, the apostles or he knew the, like St. Ignatius of Antioch, which would be like an apostle of, uh, or a disciple of St. John who was an apostle of Jesus. So they learned this right away. And what I'm going to read is from the second century. And what's so cool about it is just like every other teaching, it's a, it's not a, uh, prescriptive. It's not like saying this is what you should do, which I mean, like it's not saying that we should start doing this or we should change this and start doing this. It's actually descriptive. The way every single thing that we see first in like tradition, when it like first pops up in the second century, it's always descriptive of what's already been happening. That's why it's the same thing with baptism, the Eucharist, confession, the Pope, the church, priesthood, purgatory, Mary, uh, the Bible, everything. When it first comes up in history or tradition, you don't see anybody arguing about it. And it's not like they're saying, this is something new. We should start doing this. It's, pre- it's, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. It's already describing what's happening. And so we already get hints of it in the New Testament itself, but we see even more fully expressed in the tradition, right? So 153 to 155, St. Justin Martyr writes an entire description of exactly what happens at today's Mass. And this is 153, 155, and it's already happening way before this, and it was happening in the first century. And even, uh, I'll read it in a second, but also even somebody that wasn't Christian at the time, Pliny the Younger, 
He was a Roman imperial official. He filed a report with the emperor around the year 112 while he was serving as governor of, uh, which is now modern day Turkey. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's like Bithynia. And it was, uh, and he was, he was spying on the Christians and he was reporting back to the emperor because they were, uh, looking into all these Christians because it was causing problems that they faced, that the emperor faced with the emerging cult of the Christians. He described the Sunday worship as, as of Christians, which exactly like the mass, they come and read and eat this common bread. (laughs) And they were also accused of cannibalism because they eat this man, Jesus. (laughs) And guess what? That sounds a lot like the mass, right? Um, which by the way, cannibalism is when you eat a dead body, but Jesus, we receive his glorified body in heaven. He is a living alive and he gives us life. The exact opposite of what cannibalism is. Um, and it's not bloody, right? And it's, uh, and so it's the non-bloody version of his sacrifice on Calvary, um, that we participate in and receive his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And so, uh, now, let me finish this episode by reading what St. Justin Martyr described as the Mass in 153 to 155. But we, after we have thus washed him, referring to baptism, who has been convinced and has assented to our teaching, reassenting to the Catholic Church's teaching, all of it, brings them into union with it, right? Bring him to the place where those who are called brethren are assembled, the church, in order that we may offer hearty prayers in common for ourselves and for the baptized person and for all others in every place. Sounds like a lot like prayers of the faithful. That we may be counted worthy now that we have learned the truth. By our works also be found good citizens and keepers of the commandments so that we may be saved with an everlasting salvation. Having ended the prayers, we salute one another with a kiss. There is then brought to the president of the brethren bread and a cup of wine mixed with water And he, taking them, gives praise and glory to the Father of the universe through the name of the Son and of the Holy Ghost and offers thanks at a considerable length for our being counted worthy to receive these things at his hands. And when he has concluded the prayers and thanksgiving, all the people present express their assent by saying, Amen. This word, Amen, answers in the Hebrew language uh, to so be it. And when the president has been has given thanks and all the people have expressed their assent, those who are called by us deacons give to each of those present to partake of the bread and wine mixed with water over which the thanksgiving was pronounced and to those who are absent, they carry away a portion. And this food is called among us Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake but the man who believes that the things which we teach are true and who has been washed with the washing that is for remission of sins and unto regeneration and who is so living as Christ has enjoined. For not as common bread and common drink do we receive these, but in like manner as Jesus Christ our Savior, having been made flesh by the word of God, had had both flesh and blood for our salvation. So So likewise have we been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word and from which our blood and flesh by transmutation are nourished is the flesh and blood of that Jesus who has made flesh. 